All right. So, Second Peter chapter two. Now, at the end of Second Peter uh, chapter one, I think it's important to just kind of give us a little bit of. A, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been uh, in our series in First and Second Peter because a couple of weeks ago we had Amir Sarfati. Uh, graciously sharing with us. That was so awesome. Last week, we did a message on Pentecost Sunday. And so we're getting back into it here today and picking it up in chapter 2. But it's interesting. Look at what Peter writes in the first verse of chapter 2. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So when he says that, he's kind of tying it into what he had previously been talking about. It's important to just kind of remind ourselves, because it's been a couple weeks that... Peter was looking in chapter 1 of 2 Peter about, you know, the, the pureness of God's word, the, the validity of God's word, that we have something more sure in the written word of God. That this was a word not written by, by men. This was not something that people came along and thought, you know what, I'm going to write something out here. I'm going to, you know... I think this kind of sounds like this would be of God. I'm going to put this out there. I want to make a name for myself. This wasn't something that people did and put together. This was something that men spoke and wrote as they were instructed by God. In fact, Peter says at the end of chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy, or the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we understand that the, that the whole of God's word is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's something that, yes, people wrote, but they wrote as they were led of the Spirit so that we know we've got the very word of God here. But now what Peter does as he moves into chapter 2 is he gives us the other side of the coin. Just as we see in Old Testament times, New Testament times, people wrote down God's word as they were led of the Spirit. These were true prophets of God. He also says now, but hold on, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there's going to be false teachers among you. So we're going to be looking at these false teachers here in chapter 2. And here's kind of the outline we're looking at here. We're going to see the deception of false teachers Verses 1 to 3, we're going to see the doom of false teachers, verse 4 to 11. The description of false teachers in verses 12 to 17. And the danger of false teachers, verses 19 to 22. We're not going to get into all of this here today. We're going to do just half of it and then get into the second half next Sunday. So we're going to look at the deception and the doom of false teachers here. So again, look at verse 1. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, Peter lets his audience know, again, that in the previous chapter, there were good and honorable people who proclaimed God's word. But now he says there's, there were also at work at the same time, dishonorable people, false prophets that were proclaiming a false word of god all through the old testament we saw that happening case in point there's many examples but one example is found with jeremiah right jeremiah called the lord called right from the womb right you're going to be set apart you're going to be a messenger you're going to speak my word and so jeremiah did that right and he's proclaiming to the people of israel that listen unless they repent 
and turn from their sin, judgment is coming. And it's going to come at the hands of the Babylonians, God's instrument of judgment. Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to, they're going to just, I mean, just squash the place. The very temple in Jerusalem is going to be taken down. And so Jeremiah's proclaiming this word, right? Now look at what we read in Jeremiah 23, verse 16 to 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts. It says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. So here's what the Lord says. Don't listen to these false prophets who are trying to say, oh, don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't listen to this doom and gloom message. Like all this bad stuff's gonna happen. Come on. We live in Jerusalem. Do you think God's going to let anything happen to this most holy city? And plus, we've got the temple here. The very place God said he's going to dwell among the people. Do you think God's going to let anything happen to that? No way. We're protected. We're safe. This is what the people were saying in Jeremiah's day. As Jeremiah comes to the word, well, now the other people, the false prophets, come to undermine that word and say, don't listen to Jeremiah. And yet the Lord's saying, don't listen to those false prophets. It goes on to say in, in Jeremiah 14, verse 14, and the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I've not sent them, I've not commanded them, nor have I spoken to them, but they prophesied to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their own heart. So these people were saying, no, we're safe, we're good. But it was a deceptive, false word. It was a lie. They thought nothing bad can happen to us, but how wrong they were. So Peter draws out this comparison that just as there were false prophets in days past, so too you can expect false teachers in your day and how we can expect that in our day. And we see that happening time and time again, false teachers creeping in. Not, not here at Riverside. Don't get weird on me now today. All right. Doesn't happen here. But notice that Peter refers to prophets of old. But then in his day, he talks about false teachers. False prophets from Old Testament times, false teachers today. I think Peter is maybe drawing a distinction here. Maybe I'm reading more into this than I ought to be. But I think there's a, a distinction to be made here because uh, I believe Peter's saying, We've had prophets that were speaking the word of God in a way before we had the very word of God. And I believe today we don't have prophets or people occupying the office of a prophet as we did in Old Testament times or in days past before the word of God was recorded. Once we have the word of God now, we have the very word of God that we need. So we don't have prophets in the same way. Yes, there's the gift of prophecy. I believe in the gifts of the spirit in use today. I believe in a gift of prophecy and a word of prophecy being given. And that doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a foretelling of God's word. I think it can be a foretelling of God's word, just simply proclaiming God's truth that will always line up with God's word. But today, you'll see people coming in to churches claiming themselves to be a prophet. And what they mean by that is, is my word stands. I have complete authority. People that proclaim to be prophets today, oftentimes 
abuse that position. They claim this office of a prophet to say, my word is kind of at par with God's word. And you need to listen to what I say. You need to do what I tell you to do. And, and that might be a, a foreign thing to some of you because, you know, you're, you're sheltered in a, a nice, loving, biblical church, right? I hope. But, but sometimes we don't see that at work. But, I mean, this stuff goes on today where people claim this role of prophet and, and their word is complete authority. And it's just not right. I don't believe that's what, what God would intend for today. And so Peter makes this distinction. False prophets, Old Testament, before we had the word of God, people proclaim the word of God, but also people claimed a false word of God. But now today we've got false teachers, people coming in. Now let me make another distinction. False teachers are not those that kind of, you know, mess something up and say an interpretation of the word where maybe they're off in some way, but it's kind of accidental, all right? Because there's, there's been theologians from the past that, people look up to that are well-respected but may have said things that maybe we don't agree with today and go, I I hold a different view of the word there. That doesn't make them a false teacher, right? They're desiring to proclaim God's truth. They might have a different, you know, way that they interpret that. But what Peter talks about when he talks about false teachers and throughout the word, as there's much, you know, instruction being given to watch out for false teachers is we're talking about people that come in knowingly misrepresenting the truth and using this for their own personal gain. That's what a a false teacher is, where they are purposefully changing or or adding or taking away from the word of God for their own personal gain. All right? So that's what Peter is addressing and, and talking about here. And notice how they go about their business. It says there in verse 1 that they secretly bring in destructive heresies. You see that? Secretly bring in destructive heresies. How so? They do it like this. They will mix in their lie among the truth. So they'll give you a good percentage of truth, but they'll secretly slip in a component that's of their own thinking and their own, you know, desires basically for their own personal gain that is completely not truth they add in a lie to the truth so you can have some things that are are being said that sounds very theological and very biblical but it's secretly got some heresy mixed in with it and it ultimately spoils everything now some like to say oh you know what i mean i just chew the meat and i spit out the bones right And that's all good and fine if you're enjoying a nice barbecue salmon, right? But when you're dealing with teaching, I mean, those bones can kill you. And and oftentimes, you don't even realize you're choking on it until it's too late. It's dangerous stuff and it spoils the whole mix. The minute that you take, you know, even 80% of truth and throw in 20% of falsehood, as these false teachers would like to do secretly, secretly bringing in destructive heresies it's like this little girl two and a half years old who was just getting over a cold and somebody bought her a nice tea set as a get well present for her you know cheer her up a little bit and so one day the dad was looking after the daughter while the mom was out doing some errands and 
And the daughter thought, Dad, let's have a tea party. Dad thought, thought sure, let's do it. So the little girl goes and fills up the teacups, brings it back to her dad. Only she doesn't have tea. She just fills it up with water, of course. And dad has a drink. He's like, oh, this is so sweet. The daughter goes and gets some more for him, brings it back to him. And the dad is just so blessed at the daughter doing this. And then the mom comes home and the dad's like, oh, you got to, dear, you got to watch this. Look at what our daughter's doing. We're just having a tea party. She's getting me tea and filling it up. It's just so lovely. And, and the mom's just sitting there watching Going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dad gets another drink of this water, and, and sure enough, the mom has to say, Honey, did you ever think that the only place that your daughter can reach water is there in the toilet? And so that's the case here, you see, right? That's exactly what happens. You got to know the source of what you're getting, right? Because it may appear good and pleasant, but your whole outlook will change when you find out where it comes from. And it's the same with false teachers. They might be saying things that you go, okay, that's true, that's true. That, uh. But when you understand their heart, and their heart is to secretly bring in destructive heresies, you've got to recognize that's a source that I don't want to be drinking from. I don't want anything to, to do with that. And today there are many false teachers at work that pervert the truth of God's word. They claim to be Christians. They appear as Christians. They might sound like Christians at times, but they begin to change the word of God. They begin to add things or take away from things. And it's very subtle, but the minute that they do so, you have a false teacher. Now, thankfully, we don't need to sit here and study up on all the latest, you know, uh, heretical trends out there at work today. We don't need to look at who are these false teachers, who I don't need to be aware of. What we need to do is simply know the truth of God's word. And, and my job as a pastor is not to sit here and constantly say, watch out for this, watch out for that. My job as a pastor is simply to teach the unadulterated truth of God's word and let the beauty of God's word just resonate in your own heart to see the greatness of our God. Because when you begin to see the beauty of God's word and the truth of God's word, you're going to pinpoint the lie the minute it gets put in front of you. It's like that with, with bankers who are needing to know what counterfeit money, you know, really is like. They don't sit there and, and review counterfeit money and handle counterfeit money. No, they're given the real. They're given the real money to handle the field, to know what it's like. So the minute a counterfeit bill slips in, they know right away just by touching it, just by seeing it, this isn't the real deal. This is false. And we need to be in the word of God and know the truth of God's word and allow the truth just to take residence in our own heart because when that happens, you're going to know the second a lie emerges when you have a false teacher before you. Now, some teachers, Peter says, they're going to go so far as to even deny the Lord who bought them. It's right there at the end of verse one. They're going to deny the very Lord who bought them and in so doing, bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, now, that's interesting because Peter was dealing with that in his own day as this early form of Gnosticism was sweeping into the early church, claiming that Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh because all flesh is, all matter is evil. So Jesus didn't take on flesh. He didn't come truly as, you know, one of us. And they, they had a different view, a distorted view of Jesus. That's always a good way to start when you're dealing with people is what's your view of Jesus, you know? That's where many cults today separate themselves because they have a distorted view of Jesus. And these people deny the very Lord 
who bought them, who bought them with the price of his own sacrifice on a cross, who by his own blood purchased their redemption. And in so doing, Peter says, they brought upon themselves swift destruction. Why? Because they're denying, they're removing the very means by which they can be delivered from judgment and destruction. The minute that you, you know, you take Jesus and you say, he's not who the Bible says he is. He hasn't provided what the Bible says he has. Well, you're bringing on yourself destruction because there's no other way to be saved. It's only found in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can deliver us and save us. And so these people bring upon this. It's not that God is sitting there, uh, as many people think, like with a big lightning bolt. Just right, you're separate out of line. Okay, boom, I'm, I'm out with you. And wipes you out. No, it's that they've removed themselves from the place of grace and from the redemption and the salvation that Jesus has for them. So they bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2 goes on to say, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Listen, here's the crazy thing. Is, is the, it's a sad reality to know that these false teachers, you, you would think, who would believe them and listen to them? And Peter says, many. Many follow after them. They follow not only their teaching, they follow their destructive ways. That's sad. Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Narrow is the, is the, the way that leads to, to life and there are few that find it, he says. People love Broadway. They love, they love this way that's very open because it's like, oh, it's, just, it's so freeing. It's so, I can just be me. I can just do what I want. It's comfortable, right? A lot of people love to go that way. They don't want to be restricted into, you know, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. People don't like that. They want to, they want to go their way. They like their way. I mean, let's be honest. We like things being done our way. It takes dying to self to say, I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to go his way. And it's a narrow way. But truth is very narrow, right? I mean, people that go, come on, there's only one way to salvation. That's so limiting. How can you say that? But truth is very narrow. As much as I would love to tell my math teacher back in school, listen, I think the answer I came up with here to that equation is good enough. It wasn't. There was only one answer. Because truth is narrow. And that's the way it is. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. And it's through us repenting of our sin, dying to self and receiving that free gift of salvation that Jesus has for us. That's it. So many people follow along. And Peter says at the end of verse 2, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. See, there are people that emerge on the scene that love to say, listen, guys, come on. Can't we just... Can't we just agree that God is a God of love and, and love wins, right? Love wins. Everybody gets in. Can't we, just, can't we just all join hands and sing Kumbaya and just all make our way to heaven together? There's, there's people in the name of Christ that would love to promote a message like that. And the minute that the truth comes out and says, listen, guys, sorry, but uh, 
God's a God of love, but he's also a God of, of justice. And sin needs to be dealt with. And unless a person repents of sin and puts their trust in Jesus, there's no future of heaven for them. That might sound harsh, but it's the truth. And I say that so that people can be spared from hell. And there'll be people that say, oh, come on. That, and, and what does Peter say? Because of whom the truth will be blasphemed. People will slander and malign the truth because they think, no, that's just not too loving, Brent. That's, that's not too accepting. Now, you've got to change your message. That's what people do. And so because of these false teachers that come out and promote something far different and promote a message that people want to hear, then when the truth does go out, it gets slandered. But we've got to understand, just because the majority go that way doesn't mean that they're right. Sometimes people just give in. And you think about some of these false teachers, right? And I would love to name some of them today. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, I mean, if you go to Houston, you can find some of these large churches. And uh, you can find people that will fill stadiums to listen to a false gospel being promoted. And you sit there and go, what? what's the matter with people? But again, it's like what, what Paul says. I mean, people will have itching ears, right? They'll just want to hear what they want to hear, right? Makes them feel good. But... It's not the truth, right? So Peter says here, listen, the truth is going to be blasphemed because of a false message that goes out that many people love to hear that the crowds will follow after. And he says in verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Now, it's interesting, this word exploit that he says here, it's the Greek word emporiomai. And it means, like where we get our word emporium, it means to make merchandise of. Like if you're going to a store, an emporium, and you want to you know, pick up some merchandise, this is what these false teachers do. They exploit you. They make merchandise of you. They use you for their own personal gain. That's the distinction of a false teacher. It's not that they're just kind of a little bit wrong in their own ignorance of Scripture. It's that they're using Scripture in a false way for their own personal benefit, and they make merchandise of you. False teachers look for what they can get out of you. There's a hidden agenda with them. They have a covetous heart, and they're only looking to use you for their own personal gain. And how do they exploit you? Well, Peter says they exploit you with deceptive words. Now, that word deceptive, it's another interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word plastos, where we get our word plastic, right? And that word plastic has kind of become known in, a, in sort of, you know, slang terms to reference somebody that's just fake. Look at them, he's, oh, they're so plastic, right? I think the movie Mean Girls made it possible, right? Emily's favorite movie. Um, they're so plastic. In other words, they're fake. They're, they're not genuine, right? Plastic. It, the idea here in, in this Greek word is that it's something that can be molded or, or formed, right? You can make anything ultimately out of plastic, right? You can make uh, plates. You can make toys. You can make a nice anniversary ring for your wife. Out of, uh, so, so I've heard. But you can make a lot of things out of plastic, right? It's used for anything. And that's the idea here is that these people are just taking their own stuff and they're making it look like a certain thing. They're making it look like it's true and truth, but it's false. It's fake. It's not the real deal. So they're exploiting you. They're making merchandise of you through 
deceptive or fake means here, fake words, phoniness. It can be pretty frustrating when we see people like this seemingly getting away with it, right? Like, I mean, you look at some of these guys on, on TV and, and they've made a big business out of their ministry and they're driving their, you know, their nice cars. They're living in multi-million dollar mansions. And you think, like, am I, am I off? Is there something to this here? Like, and you think, is that okay? It seems like they're getting away with it. Like, maybe the Lord is blessing them. Maybe I better change the message a little bit. And you think, are they, and it's easy to think that way, but notice what Peter says here in verse three. Their destruction does not slumber. In other words, it's not sleeping, it's not idle. Destruction is coming for them. And so what Peter does here now is he brings up some examples from Old Testament history that they'd be very familiar with. Examples of people that went away from the truth and where God had to deal with them. And God was swift in bringing judgment upon them. Let's read a few verses here. Verse 4 says this, as we look at this doom of false teachers. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So Peter brings up, first of all, these angels. All right, these angels that are being reserved or, or being chained, um, let's see, being chained in darkness and reserved for judgment. Now, that's an interesting example he brings up because now we know Satan was once an angel in heaven, right? And, and a high-ranking angel, but he rebelled, filled with pride. He rebelled against God. He wanted to be worshiped like God. And, and it's believed through scripture, he took a, a third of the angels with them. There was a great rebellion. And so these angels have become, you know, his minions, the demons that are at work today in, in tempting people and in, in trying to, you know, devour lives. So Satan and his demons are at work presently in the world today. But, but Peter brings up these angels who are chained in chains of darkness, reserved for judgment. And, and that doesn't seem to picture, you know, Satan or his demons. So who are we talking about? What is the situation here being given? Now, it's possible um, that Genesis 6 shed some light on this. Uh, we can't be dogmatic on this. Don't, don't say I'm a false teacher. This is just a theory, an idea, that this could be what is being referenced here. And it says this in Genesis 6, verse 1 to 5. Now, it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God... So the daughters of men. Let me stop right there because sons of God, you would think, okay, yeah, just people born to other humans. But sons of God is a term also used for angels in scripture. And it's believed, many believe that this is speaking of angels. Now Jude talks about these angels that left their abode. 
right? Left their, their former abode and have come down. They've, they've, and let, let me just read on here, okay? It says there in verse 2 again that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the idea here is that these angels left their place in the heaven and they came down. They had these, um, this unholy union with the daughters of men. They went after strange flesh. It's interesting that Peter will also then move on to Sodom and Gomorrah, also a reference to going after strange flesh here. But so it's the idea that these angels had interrelationships with the daughters of men and they produced this offspring where it talks about these giants. And the, the term there is Nephilim. It's Nephilim. And what happened was all of a sudden now there's this incredible wickedness taking place in the world so much so that God saw fit to judge the whole earth and wipe it all out, save for Noah and his family. So something took place that was so serious that God needed to judge the whole world. So it's believed that these were angels that came down, that, that this is who Peter is referencing here in Second Peter 2, verse 4. He uses a term for hell that's unique in Scripture. He uses the term Tartarus, Right? This perhaps this abode, this this place of uh, of this holding place for these angels being reserved for their judgment. All right. So, I mean, there's lots to be said about that, but we're going to keep moving here. Come and ask me if you have any questions about it. But it also says then that he 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 delivered Noah through it, preacher of righteousness, bringing him and his family through the flood. He spared them, but then he also took down Sodom and Gomorrah again because of their wickedness, right? And he spared Lot. Now, this is interesting because three times, three times we see Lot being referred to in what way? Anybody want to take a stab at it? In a couple of verses, we see Lot being referred to as righteous. Righteous. You did it. I know it's getting late, but that's fine. All right. Righteous Lot. Now, here's the thing. If you look through the Old Testament passages about Lot, you're thinking, man, this guy had a, a, a few things going against him. I mean, you know, there's this quarreling between Lot's people and, and Abraham, his uncle. And Abraham says, listen, just go ahead. You choose where you want to go, and I'll go the opposite way. Lot chooses the nice plains, you know, and ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then ends up in the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah, ends up right there among the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and it seems like, I mean, Lot, if you were righteous, you'd be thinking, this is not a place I want to be raised in my family, right? But he ends up there. doesn't seem very righteous. Now, suddenly, Peter's referring to him three times as righteous Lot. I think that's so cool because I believe the difference is we're on the other side of the cross now. The other side of the cross under the new covenant where, what does God say? Their sins I will remember no more. You see, as we move in the New Testament, all the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we don't see their flaws. 
and shortcomings emphasized. I believe because now we're on the other side of the cross where all these things are not only forgiven but no longer held against them. The price has been paid. The penalty has been meted out, you see, for their sins to where a man like Lot, obviously because of his faith in the Lord, though he maybe had detoured at times, he stands righteous now. How so? Because of what Christ has done for him. It's the same for you and for me, right? Uh, I know that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, not because I've been a good person, not because I'm, I'm so good at following God's word. I know I'm going to heaven simply because I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been, has been given to me through his work on the cross, through my faith in Jesus. See, a lot of people struggle not thinking, I've got to earn my way, I've got to, you know, I've got to be good enough so that God will accept me. I can't be good enough for God to accept me. I can't be righteous enough in and of myself. It's only through Jesus Christ. And he's made it possible through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, to forgive me my sin and no longer to hold my sin against me, but in fact, to impute to me and to you his very righteousness so that God will not look at me and my flaws he looks at me and he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. To where Lot now is no longer seen in his flaws, but he's seen in the righteousness of Christ. How beautiful is that? Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? I sure am. So Peter's point in all this, goes on to talk about just how he's been delivered, but Peter's point in all this is to say that God always works out his good and perfect will. He will deal with those who walk contrary to God's ways and there will be judgment that will be executed. But he also knows how to deliver those that are his out of these places. Those that are faithful to him. I think, I think verse 9 is, a, is again a great kind of proof text that we're not going to be going through the tribulation. That God in his faithfulness knows how to deliver us out. Because the tribulation, Revelation 6, verse 19, which we're going to be talking about on Wednesday, by the way. Come on out on Wednesday as we finish up, hopefully, we'll see, our series, 30,000, Bible from 30,000 feet, finish up the book of Revelation. But I believe Revelation 6 to 19 is dealing with the, the tribulation, which is the judgment of God being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And just as we're seeing here, God knows how to deliver the righteous out of that time of judgment. That tribulation that's coming next week here, by the way. No, I'm just teasing. I think it's soon. I think the Lord is coming soon. Be ready, people. Um, but let's close it out here. Verse 10, 11, last two verses we're going to look at here. And, and it says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil to dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So these false teachers, they walk around with a big chip on their shoulder. They act as though they're the big boss. Nobody's, nobody's above them, right? They, they despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're full of pride. And, and notice when it says they speak evil to dignitaries, that word for dignitaries speaks of glorious ones. Many believe that that's actually referencing angels, principalities, and powers that work in the world. Most likely, again, fallen angels. But they will speak against them and have no problem and speak on their own accord and in their own ability and might. These 
false teachers have such a chip on the shoulder that they think they can do whatever they want and they can conquer over all. But you know, Jude verse 9 gives us another example. And there's a lot of parallels. If you have a chance, I mean, look through Jude and look through Second Peter 2. There's a lot of parallels that we see between these chapters. And Jude 9 brings up a reference to Michael, the archangel, a high-ranking angel, and, and, and quarreling with Satan over the body of Moses after Moses had died. And there's a lot to get into about that, but we're not going to be able to listen to our study from Jude uh, about that to learn more. But what Jude says is that even Michael didn't bring a reviling accusation against Satan, but he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael, who easy said, Satan, you're no match for me, man. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm an archangel and I'm going to take you down. Michael didn't say that. So listen, the Lord rebuke you. But yet Peter says, these false teachers have no problem coming in and just acting like they're the big boss, that there's nobody above them. And they'll speak even to principalities and powers in their own authority and not realizing that, that they're no match for these angelic beings. See, the lesson is very clear for us. How we need to be so sure that we're always keeping the Lord between us and the enemy. That we don't sit here and think, oh, I'm going to go into enemy territory and I'm strong, I'm invincible. I'm on the winning team. I got this covered here. How we always need to know it's the Lord that I need. Oh, yes, I'm saved. I know I stand on the, from the, in the place of victory, but that victory is only in and through the Lord. Proverbs 21 Verse 31 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. And how we need to continue to rely upon and depend on the Lord. Well, so the word for us here today is simply be aware. Because the enemy is very deceptive. And he's got people speaking deceptive words to seduce you, to draw you in, to trip you up. Know the truth. Stand in the truth. And be proclaimers of the truth. Because we live in a world right now that is, is needing hope and answers. And it's only found in Jesus and in the truth of God's word. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to close with a song of worship here. And we're going to just move into time of communion. And again, just a chance to thank the Lord as we do on the first Sunday of the month. Partake of communion together to thank the Lord for the grace in which we stand, for the life we have in and through Jesus. Um, Like Lot, we realize, man, we stand on this side of the cross by which we're clothed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes we think, oh man, I'm just so unworthy. I'm undeserving. And it's true, we are, right? Let's not sugarcoat it. But Jesus paid the price for us. He's taken the penalty for our sin that we could have life in him. In and through by which we now get to stand in the righteousness of Christ. So when we come to the table, we come in victory. We come in in thanks. We come in gratitude for what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we continue to say, Jesus, it's only through what you provided for me by which I stand. And I, I move forward in these things.
I hold these emblems of communion representing your body, your blood, the sacrifice you made for me to know that it's only through that that I have life and life eternal. And so we're so very thankful for what he's done. So what we're going to do, we're going to do this COVID style. (laughs) Um, I'm going to have you come as we worship. Let's stand together. And I'm going to have you come and make your way to the table. And I'm going to um, hand out the bread to you guys uh, with my sterilized glove over here. And uh, you can go ahead and take a, a cup yourself there. Take it back to your seat. And then just go ahead and take that on your own. We're not going to do it corporately together. And then just go ahead and take it in thanks. Pray and give thanks to the Lord for his sacrifice, for the life he's given you. If you're a believer in Jesus today, this is for all of you to partake of and do so with thanks to the Lord. And so take it back to your seat and just go ahead and take that on your own. And then uh, Randy will come up after the service and uh, close with some announcements and, and things. And so let's just spend time worshiping the Lord, responding to his word and and partaking of communion gladly and in rejoicing here today, okay?